Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And uh, in this passage, as we look, continue to look tonight at created for his glory, uh, the attitudes that we ought to have, and uh, as we understand that I have been created for God's glory, and that does radically change how I think about life. And uh, here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And as we look at this, the Bible's desires for us is to understand the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf, and then to begin to think about the heavenlies, to continue to focus our minds on how God created me, what am I to do, and the continual focus of our life. But as we look through life, and we, we understand that we go through some sorrowful times, we go through some despairing times, uh, but why am I despairing? You know, sorrow is a natural part of sin. Uh, but how do I come from the, the state of despair and get out of that? And the Bible does give us information and truths on how to do that. And so we'll study that further this evening. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing, and uh, then we'll commence our studies. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm, I am so thankful that, Lord, we have the manual for life. And, Lord, we can have certainty in the words Lord, they're not just there, that we're not man's words, but Father, they're your words. Lord, you cared enough to not just intervene through oral traditions, but God, we have the written word of God perfectly preserved. That Lord, we can daily come and feast upon your love letter. And so Lord, work in our hearts tonight. God, I ask that you would encourage us, help us in the place of despair to find the place of hope. And so, God, I commit all of this to you. I love you. In Jesus, my Savior, I pray. Amen. Vibrant Christianity, this study is rather a look at those basic truths of the faith that really built the the solid Christianity of the first century, the uh, the slides are working tonight, which is a tremendous blessing. I'm thankful for that. And we've talked about last week several things. What you don't see can hurt you. We have a spiritual realm with which we are uh, living. Living in the light of the unseen spiritual realm can add joy and peace to everything that happens in the physical realm, both good and calamitous. And uh, we have talked about this here before at the church, but our spiritual lives does have a direct correlation in many instances, to the physical things going on in our body. Our spiritual life will affect our bodies in the physical. So there is a, they work together, and we are body, soul, and spirit, all one. And uh, if our spirit's not right with God, there are things that can happen. And if we go a prolonged period of time where our spirit's bad with God, there are things that will be consequences. Some of the things that we look at here is lessons from the medicine cabinet uh, as I look at this. And uh, spiritual blindness in many believers is most evident in how easily they are influenced by the world. Uh, A worldliness, it takes our cues from the world, is what's important in life, what is not important. So we begin to get in worldliness, I let the world establish what is important for me. Too many Christians play with the world as unruly children uh, without any caution. 
It's like a small child going to the medicine cabinet, and hence the lessons from the medicine cabinet. And an unsuspecting child or a disobedient youngster, they go to the medicine cabinet and uh, they begin to uh, pop some pills. Uh, they begin to put some ointments on their body. And as they do this, some very adverse events most likely will occur. Spiritually sensible believers may pop this movie in or this YouTube video or, or concert or smear on this or that of the world as a mind-numbing experience, and we merely ask ourselves, you know, is this drug in the, you know, in the medicine cabinet legal? No, they want to know, you know, some people say, well, does the Bible really talk about smoking? God doesn't forbid smoking. You don't find smoking in the Bible. Uh, God doesn't forbid this. I mean, God doesn't mention cannabis in the Bible. But the Bible has principles. And people say, well, if the Bible doesn't say it, then I can indulge in it. Now, let me ask you a question. If, if I approach a doctor in, in a similar fashion, I say, Doctor, is it legal for me to take ibuprofen for my headache? Well, we know it is. You can go to the shelves and you can buy ibuprofen. Is it within my liberties to consume this drug? It is. But if you ask a doctor that question, he's going to think it quite strange because he's going to say, why in the world are you asking me about ibuprofen? It's on the shelves. You can buy it. It's a common commodity. The fact that the law does not forbid a drug's use does not mean that one should take it. You know, your doctor may have many questions to ask you before uh, he can give you a helpful answer to your questions. He might be asking you of the ibuprofen, how much are you going to take? How often are you planning to take it? What other medications do you plan to take while you're taking the ibuprofen? You know, uh, one of the things, well, why would you take it in the first place? What pain is in your body that is uh, precipitating or is causing you to desire to take ibuprofen? What's your, you know, your overall physical health that would dictate that you're desiring to take it? What other problems do you have? That, you know, if, if you're telling me one thing, what other problems are in your body? What other pains are there? Uh, for which you want to take this. And the list can go on and on. And, you know, if you have a, if you have a sinus infection, now you, you're going to have, you most likely are going to have a headache. But if you're having a, a continued sinus infection day in, day out, week after week, and you're taking ibuprofen for the headache, but the sinus infection continues, there's something you need probably other than ibuprofen to deal with the headache. There's something, there's some cause behind it. You need to deal with potentially the bacteria or you know, an antibiotic to help get rid of that infection. You know, a headache from a muscular tension or your body hurting is one thing. I remember I used to run cross country and I would pop a lot of ibuprofens, and it got to a point where it didn't really work too well on me because I took too many ibuprofens as a teenager. But if I continue to take it for a prolonged period of time, there is probably something else going on uh, in my life. Even if something is not directly forbidden in the Word of uh, God, by command or principle, the believer uh, must ask himself many more questions before he decides whether he should uh, partake. You know, the worldly culture around us, we, we say, well, I shouldn't partake of this, but, oh, I can indulge in this. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. But the question of just because uh, the Bible doesn't directly, it doesn't say, thou shalt not, 
you know, partake of this. And just because it might be legal, it does not mean it's necessarily fruitful or helpful. You might be asking, for instance, in music, if the content of the song, the content of the movie, the content of the particular sporting event, uh, excursion, video game, whatever, uh, you know, is it, you might be saying, is it spiritually legal? And that's oftentimes, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't do this, and so I'm going to do it. But we need to ask a few more questions besides the, does the Bible say so? Because if we're just living by the legal law, it's a pretty burdensome way to live. How much of this kind of thing am I willing to fill my life up with? What are the kinds of entertainment and recreation am I living my life for? What am I already involved with? Why am I indul- Why do I want to indulge in this in the first place? Sometimes we can ask ourselves, is my soul restless because, you know, in entertainment because I'm spiritually empty? Am I wanting to indulge in this activity because I'm spiritually empty? There's nothing there. Should I be handling restlessness, loneliness, emptiness another way? How can I deal with what I'm feeling emotionally? I was talking to an individual here recently in the hospital. Uh, he and his wife, with whom I ministered here the last few years, and he said, you know what, I just like to go back and have a drink. He said, it, it just kind of puts me in the, you know, a happy place, and, and he struggled because this particular individual uh, lost their daughter, and it was a very harsh, uh, it was a very hard way they lost her. And so he said, well, it just kind of helps. But I want to ask you a question. If you're trying to unwind from the stress is this the way that God is teaching me to unwind? Would this be the right way to handle the stress according to God's word? Who will I affect if I partake in this activity? And we can ask a lot of questions. Just because a a, a physician needs to know uh, physiology and and he also needs to know pharmacology. He needs to know about you know, pharmaceutical drugs and kind of what to prescribe and what not to for various, you know, various ailments. The Christian needs to know our Bible so that I know how to counteract or to respond to, certain, to the stressors of life because all of us will face stressors. All of us will have a place in our life uh, where we're taxed. You cannot make the right choices in the visible world unless you're spending much time in the invisible world. And what this truth is, is I cannot dare to, invo- uh, excuse me, uh, to indulge in the world. I can't give my whole heart into the world and expect to be spiritually strong. It just isn't going to happen. If he is spiritually insensible to the effects of the world, Spiritual life will be in danger. There's a needing to know the Bible. It's not just needing to know the Bible so I can, as a, you know, sometimes as a kid, I can, I can answer the Bible drills or I can answer the Bible tests. No, I, I'm needing it because my physical world and the spiritual world, my spiritual world does affect my stress in the physical world. If I'm not right here, the stress here will go up. So ignorance to spiritual issues is disastrous 
to our heart. Life is more dangerous when you can't see, and going forth from this, life is more discouraging when you can't see. And so as the difficulties and the struggles and the dangers of life increase, the temptations also, you know, the temptation to be discouraged also increases. A blind student, you know, if someone's blind and they, they want to walk around a new area, they're going to walk around a little bit slower as they tap that stick, trying to be cautious to kind of remember in their mind a map or kind of a layout of where they're at. They have to take more energy to figure out where they're going. They may feel left out, isolated from others. He doesn't see as everyone else does, and he misses the humor. And, and just because in the blindness, you know, as a believer, uh, if I'm blind... Spiritual blindness in believers can be discouraging. Why am I going through life and why am I suffering these hardships? Why is life so hard? Why is life such a difficult thing? Why does God not do this and why, why, why? I want you to look with me at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. Second Peter 1 9, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his own sins. And going back here, for if these things be in you, in verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it goes before that, escape the corruption of the world through lust. Verse 4, the latter portion of it. So in my blindness, I'm going to be very... There's a confusion to life. There's a, a struggle. I, I, I need identity. I need, you know, I, I need some satisfaction. There's no illuminated truth. There's not a, able, you're not able to point to a time when God has intersected your life through His Word and spoken something to you. The Bible is just dead because... You're not engaging in the Word of God with a desire to grow spiritually. You're reading it as duty as opposed to a guide map. So life is more discouraging when you can't see. And it brings us to this phenomenon that we see as despair. Discouragement sets in and it becomes a spiral. You begin to despair, and as you despair, you begin to indulge, and then as you indulge, you become discouraged and despairing, and it just gets small. You just begin to go down, and you spiral out of control, trying to do anything. Despair is always the inevitable result of life without light. There is a difference between despair and sorrow, and I will get to that, I promise you. And there are times where some Christians have come into the dark night of the soul, as some uh, Christians from yesteryear would talk about. It seems that God is hiding his face from us. And, uh, you know, Job experienced this while suffering. Early on in his suffering, as he lost all of his home and his children, and, and life was just unbelievably difficult, he told his wife, you know, curse, she says, curse God and die. He says, you speak as one of the foolish women. I mean, he was just a stalwart of the faith. 
But as the, pain, the sorrow of life began to mount, and the pain, <clears throat> and the pain of life uh, increased, and those quote-unquote friends that were there began to just accuse him as he was kept in the dark for months. He went from not only sorrow, but he would go to despair. And he would cry out to God, please help me, God. And this kind of darkness fails, falls when God you know, withdraws himself in order to make us appreciate him more so we diligently seek him for, as we would seek for a lost precious treasure, says the author. Now I'm not going to deal specifically with certain things of what kind, particular kinds of darkness, but Job got to that place as the sorrow was upon him. And he was like, God, why was I even born? The, the focus of this study is to, to deal with those who experience a despair when the light of God is off in their life. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. There are more and more Christians that begin when sorrow happens and despair ensues when the light of Christ, right? Because of the sorrow, I don't want to, you know, there's certain recourses that we do that only exacerbates, it only multiplies the suffering. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as the excuse me, as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And more and more believers are going to walk after the Gentiles walk, seeking for satisfaction and not finding it. And as the day draws nigh for the Lord Jesus Christ's return, we're going to see more and more of this. The bottom line of all of this is that life is not supposed to work if God is not at the center. And with God at the center means God is served, he's worshipped, he's acknowledged, and he is the very centerpiece of your life. As Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 tells us, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Exodus chapter 20 verse 3, There are no other gods. But as we go into a society, uh, it was even interesting talking with the the young lady that came recently here from Nigeria, and she said, I came here, there's so much abundance here in, in North America, and yet people are not finding themselves in church. She said, it's unbelievable. She said, my country where I come from, people are poor, and, and, and they go to God because they need him for every day of the life. They come here, and, and under, just her perspective is that here in North America, we have so many idols that God gets a back seat. Jesus Christ is to be the centerpiece, the central focus of our lives. And many Christians can only maintain a superficial facade of hope and satisfaction. I get a new toy or a new thing or new to me, whether it's used or not, but a new to me thing and it's a temporary satisfaction. 
There will be emptiness in life as God is pushed aside, as the drugs wear off, the immorality fades, the fashions grow old, the relationships disappoint. This friendship that was going so well and was so satisfying and and so rewarding has faded. And now I'm not talking with that individual as much as I used to. Uh, We're not as close as we used to be. The thrills will subside. And now we're left to ourselves in the emptiness. But instead of crying out to God, there's kind of like an, an amnesia. We forget. We try to anesthetize. We try to numb our pain, our despair, by more things that just plain will not give the satisfaction because God's not the centerpiece. And it's a very sad place to be. You know, the bottom line truth is that life is not supposed to work without God at the center. As we reflect on this, upon life, reflection upon life and its problems without illumination equals despair. So, <clears throat> whether a Christian individual or a non-believer, as we begin to reflect upon life, and ultimately someone who's in despair has taken their sorrow, they've They've focused on it. They've thought about it. They've, they've, uh, they've molded over in their mind. I mean, they've really allowed themselves to ponder the situation. Uh, there's been little or no illumination. There's been little or no uh, truths of God that have come in to help to deal with the sorrow. And, and God is not the biggest concern of their life. And I'm not just talking about this in some curt, uh, cursory, uh, quick, you know, the, the Bible answer, you know, kind of the Bible answer is always Jesus. No, I'm talking about the actual reflection of life when sorrow hits you in a way that, I mean, it's just like someone just gave you the left hand out of the blue and just, you know, they knocked your clock. And you're sitting there thinking, and then the pain sets in, and then how did, you know, how did I get sideswiped by this, and how did this happen, and how did all of this and in our despair, rather than acknowledging the poverty uh, or the, the, you know, how lacking in faith I am towards God, I seek to medicate these feelings, this depression, or to distract myself. I, I need to work a whole lot so I don't have to go home and think about it. Low spirits are not in and, the, you know, in and of themselves unspiritual. But what is being spoken here is only of those feelings that are caused by hopelessness. A despairing individual is an individual who's reflecting upon life and at best only half-heartedly serving God. Many times there's a misdiagnosis of the problem, of the circumstances. Uh, Despair can be seen in a midlife crisis. You know, sometimes I've heard about it, and I know, you know popular culture talks about a midlife crisis. A, you know, a man in his 40s, he goes out, he gets himself a sports car, he drives really fast, his hair changes, you know, he's trying to be young again. He's just going through the, you know, they say the midlife crisis. But a midlife crisis is really much more than just some fad. Now, I, I'm not trying 
as we look at this, this is not a crisis per se, uh, but it is a spiritual crisis. Oftentimes a midlife crisis, a person in their mid to late 40s. And they begin to realize, you know what, as I've lived life, I haven't made as much impact as I thought I would. I, I haven't done as much. I haven't impacted as much people. If I'm trying to, you know, half-heartedly serve God and serve myself, I, I don't have the retirement I think I should have. I, my kids aren't the way I thought. I, this isn't the way I thought. My faith with God. All of this, life's just not going the way I thought it was. You know, my marriage isn't necessarily yielding the satisfaction. Uh, maybe, you know, as we get into the 40s and 50s and 60s, and as our bodies begin to hurt more, you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm limited more. I don't have the same stamina I used to have when I was younger. Uh, my body hurts. And, and there's other things that can happen. There are physical limitations. You know, in, the, in this midlife crisis, you know, I'd like to start life over again. I'd like to try it all out. A person can even, you know, potentially have grown up in a Christian home, gone to Bible school, but if they are honest with themselves, they're going to confess that they have little thirst for God. Nothing is turning out the way this person plans. All the things that this person thinks would be in place to make life worthwhile. When I get to this age, this will be in place and this will happen. You have a vision for the future. When I get to this place or when I get to this age, I should have this and I should have this. And, and you get to that age and you're thinking, it's not like I thought it was. You begin to think about the years and it's kind of life just becomes pointless. And the more you reflect and the more you just ponder life, man, you get discouraged. Sometimes we can grow angry with God. You know, I could have a spouse who's un insensitive, ungrateful children, stingy employee. You may start telling yourself that no one deserves to live like this. I deserve better. I've sacrificed for God, and, and God hasn't blessed. All these years, God, I feel like I'm entitled to something. And now, as they begin to despair, begin to become bitter. And the temptations of the world begin to become brighter. Some, at this point in time in life, may indulge themselves in extramarital relations, may go to drugs or alcohol or immorality or pornography or some may turn to gambling or extreme sports because they desire to find themselves. A doctor might note, well, you're depressed. Here, let me give you some stuff to help you. Now, when I'm talking about this very thing, I, I, I'm not talking about, there are some individuals and in they do have a, a, a chemical deficiency like hypothyroidism where your thyroid's way off and uh, there are some chemical, you know, your anatomical, your physiology that might be off, that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there's a spiritual discomfort because spiritually you're bankrupt. Now, sometimes physical illnesses can cause us to feel down. We all get that way, right? The enemy of our soul is never a low spirit in itself. The enemy is unbelief handling life without God. I'm not pursuing God with all my heart, soul, and strength. And uh, let's look at Psalm 42. Psalm 42. 
In Psalm 42, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And David's words sound pleasant. But David is, he's, I mean, he's thirsty. But this sounds different than, let's look at Philippians 3.8, Paul's mindset here. Philippians 3.8. In Philippians 3.8, look at verse 7 as well, excuse me. Philippians 3, 7 and 8, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ. And the, man, the person, the man or the woman in a midlife crisis has stopped short of a passionate pursuit for God. They're thirsting. They're thirsting for peace and calmness within. Let's look at John 12, 24, but this is the problem that has never occurred in this believer's life. This believer who is so discouraged with life They don't have the things that they wish. They don't have the relationships they wish they had. Uh, They don't have the items or career advancement or whatever it may be seen. They believe they're entitled to. And the problem is, as a confession, John 12, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. The problem is, we're here in North, you know, in, in North America, here in Western civilization, we are accepting to be a, just a respectable Christian. But not a dead Christian. And I'm talking about, he must increase and I must decrease. We are okay to have a Laodicean lukewarm, double-minded perspective. I'm going I'm I'm to try to serve God as best as I can, but I also, I, I, God, you need to understand that I, I need to do this. I don't want to do anything too radical for God. What might others think of me? So we dance around the edges of an abandonment to God. We dance around this idea I I can't go all in. I can't think the hard thoughts about God. You know, I can't even... And so with this, a midlife crisis is an individual which has a psychological... He might have a psychological name. But the real dilemma is God is not the center of an individual's life. Ephesians chapter 4. The Bible really does give us, you know, the rubber meets the road. 
And as we think about these processes, and I, I love this in this study and this look at it, I have to say it's been you know, encouraging and, and, and challenging and thought-provoking as we do go through it. We have to see the invisible. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, which we have looked at before. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. So we, the other Gentiles, other unbelievers, how does the world find satisfaction? And so often, we as Christians find ourselves in a reproducible way seeking the satisfaction the same way they do. In the vanity of their mind. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. What a tragedy it is for us as believers to have this part, have, to take part in our lives. The understanding is darkened. We're alienated. We're distanced from God because I'm looking in the ways of the Gentiles for satisfaction. God's not enough. Because maybe we've never learned how it is in the first place to simply enjoy the presence of God. So we misdiagnose our despair as this particular incident, and God says your despair, your discouragement, your hardship, your emotional uh, depression could very well be because God is not at the center of everything you have in your life. This very thing happened in the 60s, but as we look at this, really the flower children, but mediocre Christianity isn't supposed to work, and it doesn't. And hence, why more and more and more Christians are leaving churches because they have failed to understand that the God says, I want all of your heart, right? The first and greatest commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. But many Christians, and I would say many are not even Christians, they profess Christ, but they don't know Him, but they've come to a place, and COVID really was a great test for where is your focus for Jesus Christ. Mediocre Christianity does not work, and it never has. You have the flower children of the 60s. In 1960s, many college students of the day started to reflect upon life. And as they would think about it, they kind of say, well, what's the point of life? Well, they come to the place, well, there's no point. And they began to change their behaviors. A revolution came out. It didn't have a righteous beginning. It didn't have a noble end. They, they saw no point in necessarily in higher education. Uh, education didn't provide the promises. I mean, I go to school, I pay all this money, I get out, and I'm hoping for a nice paying job, I get out, and I'm still not getting the pay that I thought I was going to be. Why do I want to work? I, I've seen my parents labor and toil, and, and they've went through certain things, and, 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 you know, I don't want to be like them when I retire. I, I want to have, you know, enjoy life. There's a deadness, there's an emptiness inside of me that I can't satisfy, and just maybe the partying and the friends and the drinking and girls and whatever else may come into our life, it's there, and so I just feel isolated and lonely. I'm going to jump all on board the excitement of the world. And people go on, and here in the 60s, go on psychedelic trips, 
They protest injustice, testifying of the despair and pointlessness, and uh, some would you know, de- try to deaden themselves with immorality, mind-numbing drugs, do anything to get away from the despair of life. I mean, the more they think about life is just pointless. This same mindset of the children of the 60s is really a postmodern philosophy that objective truth doesn't exist. There is no real truth. Truth is what we perceive collectively or individually. And what we do is we begin to remove ourselves from a focus upon God. And I put myself on the throne of my life. And it never puts me into the place I'm hoping it would. This self-absorbed thinking will lead to greater emptiness, moral destruction, social decline, just as was foreseen in the 60s. Despair is epidemic in our days. And it's only going to get worse. Because a society moves away from God, hates God, we're going to see it. We have become a society of extreme everything. And I will end there for this evening. We'll come to our prayer time. Because I don't want to skip over anything, but I want us to really think about that. Despair is when the light, really the minds darkens. We look here, having the understanding darkened, being alienated, from the life of God. You know what? I'm alienated because I'm just not making an emphasis to spend the time with God. To get to hear His voice. To get His Spirit to, to comfort my spirit. He's not the one... You know, my, as the Apostle Paul would talk about, my grace is sufficient for thee. Well, God isn't sufficient for me. Church is a function I do. It's something I feel compelled to do. But the God of the Bible is put on the shelf so that I can walk the Gentile walk. And I will not find the happiness I'm ever looking for. No friends, no job, no relationships, no social media, holidays or anything will ever produce the satisfaction that comes in making Christ the center of our lives. I'm going to bring it to a time of invitation now. I just want to challenge you. Could there be despair in your life? Could there be something you say, I'm I'm, I'm finding this emptiness, I'm finding this uh, discouragement, and I don't know where to turn? How about you turn to God and say, God, what is it in my life that is creating this despair? What is it in my life that maybe I'm indulging in that I probably shouldn't? You just ask God. And so as we come to the time of invitation between you and the Lord with heads bowed and eyes closed, when you're done praying, feel free to look up. But I just want to challenge you that if we begin to get away from God as the center, we will face the emotional turmoil that ensues. When you're done praying, feel free to look up, and we will conclude. If you're watching tonight and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
That is the starting point. To guarantee your eternity to be reconciled to the God of all hope. And that comes through putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we do thank you for this evening, and God, I'm thankful for the opportunity we have uh, to serve you. I thank you for, Lord, the aspect, as we spoke about tonight in despair, as, Lord, we take sorrow, which happens to everyone, and we take events that are out of our control. Things don't go the way we think they should, and, and with that, we begin to ponder, and we begin to really meditate, and, and as we begin to continue to think over and over upon these particularly distressing incidents, well, we find ourselves in despair. And rather, as David discusses, as the heart panted after the water, after the brooks, Lord, his soul thirsted for you, as the Apostle Paul would talk about as well. Lord, I ask in our lives that there would be a great thirst for you. Lord, may I have that in my life. So many distractions. Father, I pray that you would show us those areas of our life that are creating this distressing, despairing outcome. Father, I love you. We all need your help. Encourage us, strengthen us, Lord, and may we live in the joy and the peace that you desire to give. So, Lord, I commit the message in this time to thee. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.